everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. The invasion of Ukraine has sparked drastic sanctions against Russia. What will this mean for its economy and the rest of the world? We find out in this episode with Anna Boata, Head of Economic Research at Euler Hermes, and Andy Jobst, Head of Macroeconomic and Capital Markets Research at Allianz. Hello, Anna and Andy. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Maria. Hi, Maria. Thanks for having us. So we're recording this on Friday, the 4th of March, after a wave of sanctions have been imposed against Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Can you take us through the immediate economic impacts that you're seeing? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's good to remind what these sanctions are about. Uh, Clearly, we have seen a set of very abrupt uh, and significant in size sanctions from the G7 countries to Russia. Uh, This basically means uh, partial export embargoes, uh, notably when it comes to high-tech goods uh, and also related to the oil uh, and gas sectors for Russia, but also sanctions against uh, the largest Russian banks uh, and the removal of of multiple Russian banks from the SWIFT uh, system. And most importantly, I think, and that's that's the new element of, of the way these sanctions have been implemented, it's the freezing of the Russian central bank's foreign reserves uh, held abroad, which means actually uh, a total of two-thirds of their liquidity, basically, right? So more than $250 billion, which clearly hurts uh, their ability to counter the negative economic and financial repercussions of, uh, of the sanctions overall. Uh, now, of course, counter sanctions also came from Russia, and and they are also very uh, drastic because they include, uh, of course, uh, measures that are meant to stabilize uh, somehow the currency, which lost between thirty to forty percent. It's still not very clear because there's no fixing yet. Uh, but clearly, the mandatory sale of eighty percent of foreign uh, holdings in Russia. Uh, very, very stringent capital controls uh, when it comes to payments abroad, limited per operation at $10,000, uh, but also everything that includes uh, sovereign debt service and the ban of foreigners from selling securities. So basically, it is an isolation, uh, self-isolation, even technical default on the Russian side, but also isolation from the West. Uh, Now, of course, what does it mean in terms of impact? Uh, Clearly, Russia is facing now one of the strongest crises of balance of payments. Uh, And clearly, uh, its ability, and more importantly, its willingness to fulfill its payment obligations abroad in the coming months is questionable, even almost evident that it will not happen. Uh, Now, its capacity to avoid the liquidity crisis and financing its import, there's there's still some. Right. Uh, now, how long it could take, it's always complicated to, to know because it depends on the evolution of the conflict and, and, and the evolution of the sanctions and counter sanctions. Uh, but clearly, uh, when we look at, uh, let's say, uh, an intermediate to worst case scenario, we can say that they can still hold on for two to six months. Uh, now, of course, um, the cutoff from foreign suppliers because the payments 
are disrupted today. And we have seen already a drastic fall in exports from the West, uh, Western companies to Russia. Uh, will make production very hard in Russia. Uh, they will be facing significant lack of inputs, uh, and clearly the depreciation of the rubble, uh, which will continue, of course, will push costs uh, at unsustainable levels. Uh, so what we can say is that indeed Russia is heading to a multi-year recession, at least two years recession. Currently, it's still early to say, but our latest forecast, given the latest developments, uh, would point out to minus 5% in, in 2022. Uh, as a comparison in 2014, they were at minus two. So, in, of course, a much higher recession than in the, in, in the previous, um, in the previous conflict episode. And what about the impact for the rest of the world? When we look at how systemic Russia is, I think it's important to also point out that compared to 2013, uh, Russia is much, much less important to the global economy than it used to be. Uh, it's, it's the size of its economy decreased by 50%. Exposure of exports, uh, exporters to Russia also decreased by more than 50%, if, especially for European exporters, because Russia was already rated in the category of uh, high risk uh, payment companies, uh, countries. And, and and clearly, uh, also when when we look at the financial exposure to Russia, we also see a decrease of, for example, uh, European banks' exposure to Russia by more than forty percent. So there are some uh, limitations of the contagion and spillovers effects from this crisis in in terms of direct impacts. But then, of course, we have the un- indirect impacts, and and Andy will will talk more about them. But clearly, the energy crisis. Uh, and, and as it stands today with what we expect in terms of increasing the energy prices, which is at least on average 30 to 40% uh, this year, uh, the cost to, to the Eurozone uh, growth, for example, is at least 0.5 percentage points uh, to global trade minus one percentage point, uh, And then the US and China are a bit less impacted with an impact of minus 0.2, minus 0.3. So we are not yet in a recession territory, but clearly we are uh, in a, in a quite rapidly progressing slowdown of the economies at the exit of the sanitary crisis. Maybe to lash on what uh, Anna mentioned um, on, on, on the economic effects, um, uh, the, what we see playing out at the moment is really the nominal effects, right? Uh, so the, effect, uh, the exchange rate and then uh, you know, uh, greater inflationary forces uh, on the back of uh, rising energy prices and the expect- expectation thereof. And that, that really feeds through uh, uh, the supply chains and affects uh, global growth. As a matter of fact, when you know, we, we haven't spoken much about the, the Eurozone um, as such, uh, but when I, I look at the knock-on effects, then uh, a two-thirds of the growth impact will come from uh, higher energy prices, one way or the other. And obviously, that could escalate um, uh, into a situation where um, uh, uh, the situation deteriorates and energy prices rise even more. But at some point, we see some some stabilization. Uh, and that stabilization has um, a very, very um, unfortunate uh, side effect, which is that even though we see all the um, makings of a stagflationary scenario where growth is slowing down, inflation picks up, uh, at some point, uh, something's got to break. And uh, what will break is uh, aggregate demand. 
And um, if I just take the example of the oil price, now we are still with uh, um, Brent at $110 um, uh, at a record high level uh, we've seen, last seen uh, uh, decades ago. And the what this means is that um, when I look at, uh, you know, uh, global output uh, relative to oil prices, uh, in a situation where the oil price has risen by more than 50%, we've always seen a recession. So if, if we take that together with, you know, the stagflationary scenario and rising energy prices suggests that we might see at the moment uh, much concern about inflation, but they could quickly morph into a very deflationary scenario um, as demand adjusts uh, to uh, price pressures on the supply side. Um, maybe a quick word on on you know how uh, we've seen uh, the, the market reaction, recognizing that this balance of payment crisis in Russia is really extraordinary. Normally, in a balance of payment situation, uh, we see uh, uh, the, the 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 capital account leading the current account issues. And here we see basically the capital and current account being shocked simultaneously um, with, you know, sanctions playing a very powerful role. So, you know, Anna mentioned, you know, exporters uh, not getting paid um, and that has knock-on effects on, on Russian productivity, uh, production capacity. But at the same time, we also have um, an issue on the capital account because Russia, you know, imposes partial uh, uh, capital controls, which then also makes it more difficult for Russia to to export uh, and markets are self-disciplining in a way. On market impacts, we've seen, you know, the, the ruble plummeting to the tune of 40%, uh, inflation soaring in excess of 20% and recognizing that the, that the Central Bank of Russia is trying to stem that depreciation trend by hiking rates. Uh, uh, of um, uh, to 20%, so almost doubling or more than doubling. Uh, that means we should expect inflation uh, to be persistently uh, in the tune of about uh, 20 to 25%. And then on markets uh, in particular, um, it's very difficult to gauge, you know, what the, 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 the cost to the Russian economy is, given that, you know, much of the trading has been halted. It's a one-way market. Uh, but all indications are that Russia lost about two-thirds of its uh, market capitalization and to the extreme, uh, you know, banks, for instance, Sparebank lost 99% of its market value um, and was deemed to fail uh, at least its European subsidiary. So a very significant uh, or a catastrophic market reaction um, we've, we've rarely seen in, in, in modern history. So you've written that looking ahead, the consequences of the global economy will play out through three transmission channels, right? Energy, trade, and the financial sector. So let's look at energy first, um, which you you hinted at before. Um, Europe is particularly dependent on gas imports from Russia. Do you expect these to be halted in retaliation for the sanctions? Mm. Well, we, we it's true that uh, also Andy addressed the, the energy shock and, and clearly we can't exclude further escalation uh, with harsher sanctions and counter sanctions that would include the, the energy supply. Uh, that didn't happen uh, before, even during the Cold War. But uh, but clearly, it's it's a it's a possibility. And freezing actually uh, freezing basically all economic and financial relationships between Russia and the West, right? Because uh, it's true that almost 60% of the Russian export revenues are coming from oil and gas. Uh, so clearly that generates today enough cash flow to ensure 
uh, one month of import for Russia, right? Excluding the reserves that they still might use, uh, excluding those that are freezed. So that's clearly a significant, uh, significant cash generation for, for them. Uh, so that's, that's on the Russian side, but on the European side, it's true that, uh, almost, yeah, 30, 35, 36% of total EU gas supply comes from Russia. So now the question is how much stocks we have and how much we can hold on with those stocks and how much we can substitute. And, and actually when we look at, uh, what we have uh, as stocks, we, we only estimated one month. So that could bring us up to end of March if uh, the winter stays mild as it is today. Uh, and, and switching suppliers could bring us uh, one or two weeks additional, right? So if we think about the US, Qatar or, or Algeria. But clearly it's, it's, it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult substitution and it will not happen without a price effect. And especially because we are going, uh, into the need of rebuilding stocks, uh, because again, today we are at 30% of capacity. So in this scenario, we do see prolonged, uh, extremely high, uh, oil prices. And, and in this scenario, of course, the recessionary fears, uh, would, would materialize as, as, as Andy was explaining before. Uh, so we would see in this scenario, of course, uh, a Eurozone economy that would go into recession as, as early as, uh, the end of this year, uh, and also full recession in 2023, uh, with inflation being uh, much above 6% and, and clearly, uh, stagflation would, would become a central scenario in, in, in this situation. So maybe Andy, can you tell us a little bit more about the link between energy prices and inflation? Would, would this situation add fuel to the inflation fire? What I think what we need to recognize is that uh, we get hit, the European economy get, uh, gets hit by uh, an uh, additional uh, shock to energy prices at a time when inflation is already very high. And that's important because, uh, on, on two dimensions. One, of course, it makes it more difficult for uh, the ECB and, and uh, central banks in Europe uh, to uh, maintain uh, their um, uh, price stability. And on the other hand, uh, we see a very real consequence to households. We know we are we, that you know cash buffers still do exist uh, from uh, the Corona crisis uh, support measures, but those are are coming down quite rapidly. And uh, also, you know, savings households have are unequally distributed across the income spectrum. That means uh, the more vulnerable households, the liquidity-constrained households, um, are hurting, uh, especially when it comes to uh, seeing a, um, a a heavy toll, high energy prices take on their purse when it comes to um, uh, uh, spending power in, in, in real terms. So in the situation of, of high inflation, um, maybe a few numbers, so at the, for the Eurozone, we recorded a record year-on-year uh, -year inflation headline of 5.8%. That's 0.7 percentage points higher uh, than it was last month. Uh, and uh, what has driven uh, that, that, that record high inflation was, as expected, high energy uh, prices to the tune of 25%. Um, uh, but also we see higher core inflation. So that's the price pressures coming through goods and services. And it's very important because, um, you know, we, that seems to indicate that, uh, the, the price pressures are broadening. Uh, and that's a worrying development for, for central banks because it makes it even harder 
to bring back uh, inflation expectation to a level that's more consistent with the 2% target. Now, the, the, the big question mark at this juncture is what happens to the current carve-outs we have for energy trade. Uh, and so either the West uh, foregoing Russian exports of oil and gas or Russia as a retaliatory measure um, does no longer uh, uh, export uh, uh, oil and gas uh, to, to, to the West. Uh, in, both in, in both cases, uh, it will have a powerful inflationary impact, and we estimate that to be um, at least 1% um, percentage points of headline inflation this year under current conditions in our central scenario. Um, and to give you an, a sense of the, 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 uh, the order of magnitude of this, of this challenge is that if you were to um, uh, go want to get rid of uh, Russian imports of, uh, uh, imports of gas and oil from Russia, it would take us six years in the best case scenario by you know, changing our energy mix. So we have a, a tall order problem uh, in a situation where we live in a way in our forecast week by week. Um, and the, the, our uh, sense is that uh, if we uh, get uh, you know, hit by a 30% increase in energy prices, uh, because substitution effects are very limited, uh, as, as Anna mentioned, um, we, we do see um, inflation in the Eurozone at 4.8% this year and 2.3%. Uh, next year, and obviously that number can 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 increase um, uh, if the situation uh, were to deteriorate. And how does the how does the trade dependency play out between Europe and Russia? Can you give us a little bit more details about that? Yeah, well, the the direct exposure is is limited, right? So we are talking about less than two percent uh, of European exports uh, and imports. So, and even at the global level, we do talk about uh, eight hundred billion dollar uh, in goods and services. So it's it's limited, uh, but it's very concentrated. It's concentrated in terms of uh, products. Uh, because, uh, well, we talked about oil and gas, but also we have fertilizers, raw materials like wood, metals. And then we have also Ukraine, which plays a big role when it comes to cereals, uh, iron and steel. So it's not only about uh, the amounts, but it's clearly about the concentration and the fact that uh, if, if we do talk about uh, uh, Ukraine particularly, there, there is a huge disruption in production capacities in the country. And there are some micro stories that become macro stories because it's not so easy to substitute your suppliers. And we have seen already some companies that are impacted if it's in the automotive sector or in the aerospace sector, when we think about the, their reliance on cables from, from Ukraine. Now, also, when, when we think about Russia, it's not about production capacity, but it's the fact that they are, again, completely cut off. So even if you would like to uh, import or export, it's it's very complicated uh, doing uh, this, this financial flows because of the risks around it, sanctions, but also uh, the capacity of uh, getting paid. Uh, and, and clearly, that's something that would restrain uh, significantly any kind of trade exchanges, uh, probably to uh, only essential goods, uh, because we do also know that those essential goods are not subject to sanctions and, and they will uh, there will be a concentration of demand from Russia on this type of goods. Uh, so clearly what we see 
uh, is rising is, is clearly non-payment risk. Uh, it could be, it could take the form of longer payment delays and, and arrears for sure. But given the fact that we do see multi-year recession, uh, we would expect business insolvencies to ramp up significantly. And they were already increasing before the crisis. So clearly uh, there will be a need to substitute uh, relationships uh, with Russia, with other continents. And, and in this context, I think Latin America, for example, uh, could be one of the, of the substitutes in addition to, to Asia when we think about uh, more industrial, industrial goods. And so I think a question that I had for Andy was about the, the exclusion from the SWIFT payment service, because I think that's something everybody was watching. What is your take on the impact of this move? Yeah, so it, it, it's really uh, the, the the flip side of of what Anna talked about on on the trade side. So uh, if uh, the financial account cannot match the the trade flows, uh, we have a problem. And and so the swift measure uh, was taken to basically put the Russian economy in a stranglehold when it comes to the financial side, the way you know imports and exports are funded. Swift itself is a messaging system, much like you would use, you know, WhatsApp or text messages, uh, SMS. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, uh, not a system that does declaring and settlement. So one has to recognize that this is really, um, there's a, a, a exclusion of Russian banks from Swift is really removing the informational layer from financial transactions, but financial transactions themselves are impacted by the capital control measures and those have been have been been uh, taken by uh, the the European and uh, the G7 authorities uh, in the context of of financial sanctions um the the swift uh, ban involved only uh 70% 80% of russian banks so gazprom bank for instance was excluded um from from this um uh, measure and that, that of course, uh, is, is explained by the fact that the Gazprom Bank does a lot of the, the 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 payments or receives payments for gas and oil exports uh, from 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 Russia. So it's in a way the result of um, uh, or, or a result of the the, the, the Western dependence on uh, payments on gas and oil still uh, being handled efficiently. But the SWIFT ban really doesn't do much when it comes to what I've addressed, the core issue of the flows themselves, the clearing and settlement. And that's why we need, that would be our recommendation, um, a really a crackdown on correspondent banking. So the SWIFT measure itself is is, is insufficient to really you know, make this um, uh, intervention uh, powerful enough uh, to really hurt the, uh, the Russian economy. And and the 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 other... Should I say evasive tactic we might see uh, in the wake of uh, the uh, exclusion of uh, Russian banks from SWIFT is that Russia or Russian um, uh, financial entities would try to uh, circumvent uh, 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 the current obstacles by um, you know going into the crypto space, and we've seen that uh, you know transactions. Uh, in Russia and from originally from Russia have, have accelerated. So that's a worrying trend and it prompted also, uh, the authorities in the West, uh, to really, uh, accelerate, uh, legislation and regulation on crypto to ensure that we don't have leakage 
um, in, 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 in a situation when we, we really cannot afford it and need financial sanctions to be powerful. And, and um, you know, Russia um, has reacted to, to uh, constraints on the availability of FX by, uh, I think, uh, Anna mentioned at the outset, by compelling exporters to cede 80% of the FX revenues, so rubelizing their economy, if you will, um, uh, but also banning foreign investors from uh, uh, exiting their investments in Russia. So that's also another way in which you, know, you can you can uh, keep uh, 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 pressure on effects um, uh, in this situation limited. Uh, and then, what would be the next step um, for you know following such uh, hopefully effective financial sanctions? Is that Russia you know, could could uh, in fact default, um, and uh, you know uh, the Russian corporates um, uh, also renege on their debt obligations um, in in a situation when FX uh, reserves become scarce and uh, FX revenues don't flow anymore. Okay, so right now we're in what you have previously called the conflict escalation scenario. But what happens if things go from bad to worse? So in the our worst situation, the, in the going back to uh, going to from bad to worse is uh, we what we would uh, uh, characterize as a blackout scenario. So we have a gas sh- oil export shut off, where you know the, the West needs to deal with a uh, a strong um, uh, and powerful energy price shock, uh, and even for you know we've seen that already playing out for a marginal reduction in supply. Um, energy prices have risen quite quite significantly. In this situation, they would uh, we rise even more, uh, and they would uh, be elevated uh, on a prolonged basis. Um, that means that uh, Europe and the US uh, enter a phase of stagflation. We would see an inflation overshoot of about four percentage points this year, uh, and output contracting in the uh, in the later part of of, of this year. Uh, putting uh, the European economies into into recession. Um, on the monetary policy side, we would expect the central bank to err on the side of uh, a more dovish monetary stance and uh, uh, remain accommodative to support aggregate demand, uh, which gets increasingly challenged by declining real purchasing power of households and naturally uh, reticence of um, uh, companies to invest, so this uncertainty playing out also uh, in uh, on, on the side of uh, corporates. Uh, fiscal policy would then, you know, become uh, more expansionary. So unlike now, where we see some fiscal adjustment uh, in Europe being um, expected uh, later this year and then uh, very strongly next year, that would be completely turned on its head. Uh, we would see. Um, uh, an expansionary fiscal move to cushion the impact of high energy prices. We've seen some countries already taking very forceful action. France and some other countries providing, you know, um, um, uh, transfer payments, to, uh, especially to vulnerable households, to make sure that uh, uh, they're not uh, excessively affected by high energy prices. Uh, and then um, that, that fiscal um, expansion. Um, would would be accompanied by the ability of the ECB and other central banks to absorb um, uh, the additional financing needs and uh, debt issuance by uh, asset purchases, which should also help debt sustainability. Uh, 
Um, and then what what's important in this scenario, what we have not done, um, but we shouldn't forget about is um, the, the military political nexus. Obviously, uh, this situation will have a devastating effect on Ukraine, uh, which would uh, not only enter into a very deep recession, uh, but would also def default. Um, and again, this is uh, a purely um, um, uh, um, economically motivated assessment of a of a of an adverse scenario, uh, which of course strips away all the catastrophic um, humanitarian uh, and social elements which this crisis, of course, uh, would entail if we were to see the situation uh, deteriorate uh, into this blackout scenario. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, thank you so much, Anna and Andy, for taking the time to explain this to us. We'll speak to you next time. Thank you, Maria. Thanks very much. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too. And leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode.